Welcome to episode 353 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker, author of What, When, Why, and creator of the supplement line Avalon X. And I'm here with my co-host, Vanessa Spina, sports nutrition specialist, author of Keto Essentials, and creator of the Tone Breath Ketone Analyzer and Tone Lux Red Light Therapy Panels. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and ketogenicgirl.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment. To be featured on the show, email us your questions to questions at ifpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. So pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine if it's that time and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. 
I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 353 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Vanessa Spina. Hi, everyone. Vanessa, I realized we can talk about two fasting guests. We both interviewed a fasting guest since talking to each other. Yes. <laughs> Who should we start with? Yeah, I've been wanting to know how yours went with Walter Longo. Yeah, so I interviewed Walter Longo and you interviewed wait, how do you say his first name? Dr. Sachin Panda. So it's Sachin, like Sachin? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I cannot get his name ingrained in my head. So Walter Longo will be on this show. So listeners will actually, I think they will have already heard. Yeah. So he was last episode. Oh my goodness. So we can debrief. Yes. But you haven't heard (laughs) the episode. I did want to clarify for listeners one little thing about the episode. So this is actually really good timing because I talked with him about, we talked about breakfast and he is very anti-skipping breakfast. So he was pointing out a lot of studies about breakfast linked to mortality. Well, what are your thoughts on this? So there was a study recently that came out, and I think I was I was texting you that the interview that I did with Jen, former co-host of yours, on my podcast, she brought it up. And she was really breaking it down really well and sort of brought up all the different points. So I know we also talked a lot about how there's been so many clickbait headlines in the last year about intermittent fasting, but she explained a lot of the reasons why it may appear that, you know, skipping breakfast could lead to increased mortality. And she said it went crazy through her community, her fast, her intermittent fasting community that she has online. And, you know, (laughs) I think that she's probably right. You know, basically, I think she was mostly saying that the data was skewed with people who tended to have a lot of other bad habits that were not supportive of like a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, I personally have started having my first meal again. Like I do two meals a day and I've made that switch. And I consider that to be this form of like circadian fasting. But I still sometimes, you know, will not have breakfast if I'm not hungry yet in the morning. But I do think that it it can offer some advantages and it just depends on what you're after. And I also think when you're younger, you can get away with more fasting, especially you can get away with more like OMAD style. But I do think that when you get older, that it's important if you want to protect your lean body mass to have more opportunities in the day to trigger muscle protein synthesis. So 
I know we have like a little bit different personal approaches with that, but I like that <laughs> we have different, you know, approaches. And I also never feel like one pattern is set in stone. So it's kind of a long answer, but that's interesting that he's very against that because Mark Madsen and, you know, even like Sachin Panda, they have no real issue with it. Wow. Okay. That was ridiculously informative. Thank you. When did that study come out? The one that Jen talked about? I don't know, but I, I've just been hearing about it like in the last few months and I tend to not pay too much attention to that kind of stuff when it comes up because it's often, I know what kind of study it usually is. <laughs> and I, I don't get overly excited about a new study that has something negative to say about intermittent fasting. And I know that I know my science behind like my approach and, and that kind of thing. I, I wish I could recall the title of it and, and recall everything that Jin <laughs> said about it because she, she broke it down really well when we were, we were talking about it, but I haven't read it. So I, you know, I, I can't really speak to it that much. In a few episodes, we could read it and we could talk about it because I would love to talk about it having read it. So I'll actually put it in that prep so that we can prep for it. That'd be fun. Yeah. Cause my just initial thoughts are kind of things that you talked about, which is, well, epidemiological data and um, like the healthy user bias. So basically people that tend to skip. So people who tend to eat breakfast, maybe following other healthy lifestyle habits. And we've been told for so long that like that you shouldn't skip breakfast. So, so people who skip breakfast might be more likely to like not engaging in other lifestyle behaviors that support a healthy diet, which is what I just said. That's exactly what Jin said. She said it was healthy user bias and it was exactly what, <laughs> what you just said. There's that. And it was funny though. So in the episode, and by the way, I, I really, really enjoyed the episode. Oh, and Vanessa knows I'm so bummed listeners. I'm so bummed because I find doing video very energetically draining, but occasionally I do it if I want to capture some video, if it's a very important guest like Walter Longo. So I got all ready and was doing a video interview and I thought I was recording it and I was not. I was just recording the audio and it was a tragedy, but that's okay. It happened. And as Vanessa said, at least I got the audio. So that's a good reframe. But something else he said, and I was telling you this offline, Vanessa, but oh yeah, about the breakfast studies. I said that a lot of them are funded by the breakfast food industry, which I have seen. Because when I was writing for my my book, What When Wine, I was looking up breakfast studies and I, so many times I would go to the bottom and it was like funded by Quaker Oats or funded by, you know, all of these breakfast cereal companies, Kellogg's. But he said they did a meta-analysis and they found that over, I guess, overwhelmingly wasn't the case. I don't know. Um, so that was the only part of the conversation that I wanted to clarify because I, I didn't push him as much as I think I could have. I did like a little bit, but I also didn't want to, you know, be crazy. Was it actually his study? Maybe it was his study. Yeah, I'm not sure. He made it sound like it was his study. I'll have to go go look later. He has a lot of studies though, but I had one other thought about it. I just know that when I, and again, I would love to read that study that Jen was referring to and, and possibly him. I also think there's an issue, the timing of what we qualify as breakfast, because 
I think there's this idea that breakfast is like super early, but I think you can have breakfast, like depending on your circadian rhythm, how do I say this? I mean, it's when you break your fast. Yeah. So like what even is breakfast? If people's circadian rhythms are different, okay, like for example, me, I don't eat breakfast, but if I were to eat breakfast in my circadian rhythm, it would easily be lunch to other people. What does that mean then? What do you extrapolate from that data? I think it's complicated. I did a long post on this and I can put a link to it in the show notes. But when I went and like sat down, it wasn't epidemiological data. It was controlled clinical data looking at the release of hormones based on eating timing. And it really didn't look like you should be eating super early based on the hormonal profile that was released. Like it seemed like, and this was just from the studies I was reading, but the hormones most in line with what, when you would actually be eating were a little bit later. Cause like when you first wake up, it's like cortisol. It's like anti-hunger hormones, if that makes sense. Well, I can tell you what Dr. Sachin Panda says. Oh yes. Yes. That's segue because Vanessa interviewed Dr. Panda. I love his name. It, uh, was probably the interview that I most wanted to have with any guest. And I was telling you, it took me like a year <laughs> because he's he's so busy. And he's one of those scientists that is in the lab a lot. And I, you know, finally got him booked and I was super excited. And I just, I'm such a big fan of his work. I, his book is on my in front of me, I stared at all the time, the circadian code. It's so good. So he's done most of the research on time-restricted feeding that really, you know, sort of, I guess, put intermittent fasting on the map, similar to Dr. Mark Madsen. But he also discovered a couple other things like melanopsin, which is this protein in our eye, some of it's in our skin that detects the wavelengths of light. And so light is like the zeitgeber that help syncs up our sync up our circadian rhythm. So he's done some really fascinating research, but he was kind of one of the first ones to really look at meal timing. And he says, you know, like even healthy food eaten at the wrong time is junk food, which <laughs> I love. But so he says that your day starts the night before. You should get in bed and be in bed for at least eight hours. So you get around seven hours minimum of sleep and you should delay breakfast by one to two hours. And he said, it's because when you first wake up, you still have a lot of melatonin going and that it's better to wait one to two hours based on the rhythms of melatonin and cortisol production. Then Dr. Jack Cruz, you know, he really popularized this leptin reset. And he says you should eat within an hour of waking and that it's because you need to sync up with your circadian rhythm. So, you know, there's people have different beliefs on, on it. My favorite, you know, protein scientist, Dr. Don Lehman says, doesn't matter when you have that first meal, your breakfast is your breakfast. It's when you break your fast, you can have it at seven, at 10, at 12, you know, whatever works for you. But it's it's whenever you you break your fast essentially. So it's just it's funny that we always associate it with eating within like an hour or two of waking, and you know with certain like we really associate it with the the morning time. 
But the interview with him was amazing. It was really enjoyable to get to to finally ask him some questions that I wanted to ask him for a long time. So yeah, it was great that we both got to interview such amazing fasting scientists who have contributed so much to our knowledge of, you know, the power of fasting. That is so exciting. Were you nervous? <laughs> a little bit. They had asked for the questions before, which I usually don't send. I've stopped sending questions like a year-ish ago because I prefer to have a more spontaneous reaction to my questions. And then I don't want to be like, I don't want them to think that they're going to go like in that order either. Sometimes you just, you know, I like to have like more conversational, you know, episodes or interviews. So it's like we can flow in this direction then we can come back and then this sparks something else and we'll see. So I, I stopped sending questions, but they asked for them. So I sent them before. It was interesting because he said when we got on that all the questions were good, but he didn't want to answer one of them. And it was about a question that I said, well, what do you make of all the media that talk about how caloric restriction and time-restricted eating are essentially the same thing and all the benefits of time-restricted eating are coming from caloric restriction. And he says that he doesn't like to address that because it just kind of like gives power to the media that, you know, gives them maybe a sense of like recognition or something when really like they don't fully understand the mechanism. So I thought that was... That, that makes sense. I don't, and that's my approach with a lot of this stuff too. Like you have to realize that a lot of media, they want you to click on their articles. <laughs> so they often will sensationalize things, you know, and, and it, yeah, we granted, we know that, but it's a good reminder, you know, to know that they sensationalize things to get us, to get our attention, to hook our attention so that we click on their links, go read their articles, spend time on their website. So they're incentivized to make things sound a certain way or to make take certain studies and make very like enticing or controversial headlines. And sometimes that's all people see is the headlines. And so they don't, you know, always get the full the full picture. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. But I, I wasn't too, too nervous, but it was probably the interview that I was the most like anticipating, you know, getting ready for spending a lot of time preparing for. What about you? I know you've interviewed him before. So wait, quick question about the prepping. It's funny. So I have a similar approach in that I, I make my prep documents and I have tons of questions and then I, I send those to my assistant. She like cleans it up and then she's, I have like a whole system. Then she sends me back. Cause okay. I send her because the way my prep documents are set up, I have like tons of questions with notes under each question organized into sections. So I sent her that. And then she sends me back just the questions without my notes. And then I pick out the questions that I want to send to them. So I like save for myself the like good questions. So then they don't know, not good questions, but the ones that I want to be like very spontaneous and that they don't, it's not because I want to like surprise them or trip them up. It's just because like you said, I like having an element of spontaneity. And so I basically send them a document with like very basic questions that they probably would have anticipated I would have asked anyways, but I keep for myself all the like special questions. So it's like a blend of what you do. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 20% off my new favorite water purifier. 
So one of the best things you can do while intermittent fasting is drinking a lot of water. Well, maybe. So as you guys know, I am a little bit obsessed with cleaning up our exposure to toxins. And one of our largest sources of potential toxins is our water. Did you know that a large portion of tap water in the U.S. is contaminated with arsenic, uranium, and lead? And a summer 2023 study found that over half of tap water in the U.S. is contaminated with chemicals known as, quote, forever chemicals. These are synthetic chemicals that linger in the environment and are linked to cancer, obesity, thyroid disease, high cholesterol, decreased fertility, liver damage, and hormone suppression. In fact, I am so concerned about water that historically I've only been drinking mineral water from glass bottles. That's how much of a problem it is. I personally have had heavy metal exposure. It is not fun. I've been spending years detoxing from it. And so when it comes to water, purity is so important to me. Normally, I wouldn't even come close to drinking tap water, but buying water every single day from glass bottles is expensive. It's not accessible to everybody. That's why I was thrilled to find a company called AquaTrue. They have a water purifier that uses a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. It actually removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. Yep, all of those filters that I would not normally use. What I love about AquaTrue is it is making pure water so accessible to people. Their countertop version, for example, works with no installation, no plumbing, and they actually use the same technology utilized by all the major bottled water brands. That's right. So when you're getting bottled water, you may think you're getting the purest water, but you could be doing that yourself at home and without the plastic waste and plastic toxins. And their filters last a long time. They actually last from six months to up to two years. And ready for a mind-blown moment? Just one set of these filters from their classic purifier is the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That comes out to less than three cents a bottle. And they go beyond just the countertop version. They have a higher capacity under sink option as well. You can bet that the second I am no longer in an apartment, I am going to be getting that ASAP. I am so excited. And I'm thrilled because AquaTrue has an incredible offer for our audience. It is time to get peace of mind with AquaTrue. Today, our listeners can get 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code IFPODCAST at checkout. Plus, AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like it, you can just send it back for a refund minus shipping. That's right. You literally have nothing to lose except I guess the contaminants in your water. Again, that's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use code IFPODCAST. Yeah, it's it's funny how, you know, we have we have our own styles and I have to say when I do send the questions, people always really appreciate it. So you know, it's nice that you do that. I just don't anymore. <laughs> There's just a lot of things that I don't anymore. So people sometimes you know, like I was interviewing Dr. Dom D'Agostino yesterday and he's like, I don't think you sent me the questions this time. And I was like, nope. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah. But it it's, yeah, I, I find it more fun because it's like, I can just ask you whatever I want. And I feel like people get in this state of like, they're prepared to answer anything too. So you can like, I don't know. You can, yeah. Anyway, it's all, <laughs> it's, it's fun to talk about like our different approaches to things. I know. I wonder if anybody else finds it interesting. I find it so, I could talk about this for like an hour. (laughs) Yeah. There's, 
there's a lot of psychology that goes into it because you and I both host and produce our shows. You know, we don't like you listen to a lot of podcasts, like they have all these producers and, you know, there's a media company running everything for them and they book guests for them and they send them the questions even sometimes. So we're our own producers as well. So there's, there's a lot of that that goes into it, like producing. Yeah. I mean, I do have like an amazing assistant for both shows that helps so much, but yeah, we are, we're like kind of spearheading. Like, I think we're just very, you know, hands-on involved in the production. I, I just had an epiphany though. I think a reason I send the questions ahead of time, this may be, this may be the main reason I do it. Do you know what it is? No. I think I do it because I want them to take me seriously going into the interview. Because I think being a like young blonde <laughs> stereotype, I feel like if I send them questions that show I've read their work, and if they're like nuanced questions, then they'll be like, I need to take this interview more seriously. Which I'm not saying that they wouldn't take me seriously, but it kind of lets me like paint a picture of my mind before they've talked to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I like have seared in my head because David Sinclair was one of the first people I emailed on the biohacking show. And I remember I sent him over the questions and he emailed back and he said, wow, that's a deep dive. And I like have that email like imprinted in my memory. <laughs> that's awesome. So, okay, wait, but I had one other, one other thought. What did you ask me right before then? Oh, um, you asked me how it felt integrating Walter. So that has also been a surreal trajectory. And that's also interesting to see how far you've come because I've actually interviewed him three times. So it's crazy to think, I mean, I'm still like in awe and it's amazing, but it's just really interesting to think back to like the first time I emailed him, which was for, it was on this show and it was forever ago. It was when, it was when Jen was still on the show and I was just like so nervous. And the second time was on the biohacking show. I'm not sure if I was that nervous. And this time I was like, let's do this. Like, I'm good. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, but I'm not saying that to say that I get, I don't ever want to lose my sense of awe and gratitude and everything. I, it's just really interesting to see your progression. I think like as you become more comfortable with podcasting, because it's been so long. Although Vanessa, I'm never done in person. So I'm really scared about Dave Asprey. What am I going to do without my notes? Or I guess I'm going to have my notes. Yeah. Why wouldn't you have them? I'm so used to like, looking at my, I don't know. It's like different when you're in person. Yes. You have to be like more engaging with the person. Yes. Oh my God. And there's going to be like a photographer there. It's going to be so stressful. No, you're going to love it. It's going to bring out the best in you. Okay. <laughs> That's what challenges do, right? Like, you know, they, they bring out the best in you. So I might drink some wine before. <laughs> yeah. Why not? <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> what went wine? I know. I'll be like taking shots of wine in the car. <laughs> I've never, I've never ha taken alcohol when I'm nervous. Like I, oh really? I've never tried that like for speaking or anything, but I usually will fast. I usually will fast. And that provides, I think it's, it's probably because of the, the GABA like you, if you get into ketosis, you know, it provides some, some GABA for you. <laughs> it makes you more GABA dominant. So I usually fast and it gives me more of like a sense of, you know, control and preparedness and like presentness. 
being present. That that always works for me when I'm when I'm speaking or something. But sometimes it can get to be like a little bit too anxiety producing. But yeah, you gotta just ride ride the wave. That's so interesting. I always, 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 always find that, you know, it comes down to how prepared I am. And I know you're gonna be super prepared. You probably won't even need notes. So well, so thought one. I'm yeah, I'm always fasted. I don't if I was in the Fed state, I'd be a wreck. I would be like lethargic and fasting is great for having your mind like on point. That's so interesting that you've never taken so you've never drank to you said to help with nerves. Yeah, I know. I haven't. I have. <laughs> well, one of the episodes, because we're doing two, and one of them is going to be listener Q&A, so I'll have to have notes because that won't be memorized. I think what I'm going to do, though, I asked in the group for spicy questions because he does so many interviews. So I want to make it very unique, and I got a lot of good spicy questions from listeners. So do you like that idea? Like a spicy question episode? For sure. Awesome. And I think I'll do like a fasting and coffee like themed episode. Oh, and I did one other Walter Longo comment. <laughs> this was so funny. This interview came about because he didn't reach out. I didn't reach out, but Prolon reached out and I responded. So Prolon is the fasting mimicking diet, which I forgot. Have you ever tried it? Nope. And I never will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry. All right. Not Tell sorry. us how you really feel. <laughs> I have tried it. I think I tried it though in a time in my life when it wasn't really the time to try it. I would be open to trying it again. And a lot of listeners have tried it and a lot of listeners have provided feedback. So I I do think it's really valuable for a lot of people. I did ask him if it could be done in a one meal a day situation. Like, could you eat all all the prolon in one meal? Because if I were to do it, I think that's how I would have to do it. He said you could. He said he thought that would be hard. I was like, that won't be hard. That's a good idea of how you could integrate it, you know, into your your lifestyle. I think, you know, for some people it might be helpful. I I just it would not be for me. <laughs> I find that I have a pretty strong fasting muscle, so I would just fast. Like I just wouldn't. I don't I don't understand the point of eating something, but I know that it's just like low protein. But I did that for so many years as a vegetarian and it never did anything really great for me. So, so well, it's low protein and it's severely calorie restricted. Yeah. Then you're just on a low calorie diet. Yeah. But what's interesting though is I guess because of how they've specifically formulated it and in their clinical data. And again, I realized I was talking to the man who like created this. So but he was very convincing with their clinical data. But but basically the physiological state, and so for listeners, I guess we haven't really defined what this is. So this is the fasting mimicking diet. Walter Longo developed it. It is a five-day diet plan where the purpose of it, and he talks about this in his book, but basically, and his book is called The Longevity Diet, which isn't just about fasting mimicking diet. It's about the fasting mimicking diet and then his overall longevity diet that he prescribes for like life. But it creates the physiological blood biomarkers of fasting pretty like equivocally. So like ketone wise, insulin wise, 
IGF wise. So basically it's creating the markers of the fasting state, but you're still eating. And so Prolon is these, it's like soup packets and some bars and this like vitamin drink thing and algae pills. Sounds miserable. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, actually I should look and see if, if they are like spirulina pills that come with it. It comes with some sort of like algae pills. Ah, they probably are. If people want to watch about it, there was a documentary on Netflix. Do you remember it? Do you remember this one, Vanessa? It's one I was hosting with Jen, I think. It was like five different episodes about health things. I was excited because I knew literally like half a guess. Because one episode was the it was it was Gwyneth Paltrow's. That's what it was. It's Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop Lab show. Did you watch that on Netflix? I didn't. No. She has a cold episode with Wim Hof. She has a fasting episode. So in the fasting episode, she interviews Dr. Alan Goldhammer, who I've had on my show, and she does the fasting mimicking diet, and she has Walter on the show, if listeners want to kind of get a feel for it. So their studies are really, really interesting on the health effects and like the effects on the immune system and especially like help for cancer. So I'm really interested by it. I just haven't personally successfully done it. But if listeners would like to try it and report back, would love to hear your experiences. And you can get 10% off. The link for that is prolonlife.com. So P-R-O-L-O-N-L-I-F-E.com. The coupon code IFPODCAST will get you 10% off. And it is a, I don't know if it's, would it be a nonprofit if all of the money, I guess it's not a nonprofit, but all of the money goes back into fasting research? Oh, but that's the funny thing is I, so basically what went down was Prolon reached out about actually sponsoring the show. And I was like, well, I don't think it's the best fit for sponsoring, but I was like, I'm happy to have Balter on the show to talk about everything. So they were like, yeah, great. So he came on, it was great, but he won't actually like mention the word Prolon. Isn't that funny? Why? I don't know. So like, <laughs> like literally like at one point, I don't know what it was, but at one point, like what I had said was like prepping him to say Prolon and he wouldn't say, like wouldn't say it. He was like these programs out there, blah, 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 blah. I can't really name them. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now I need to know why. And then like later in the show, I was like, wait, am I allowed to say Prolon? So like later in the show, I was like, I didn't even say it. I I mean, I said, I'd said it earlier, but so later I was like, yeah. And you know, these programs out there for five days. So I started like, stop saying the word as well. That's bizarre. I wonder why. I think it's because he doesn't want to be, I'm assuming, I don't know. I think it's because he doesn't want to be associated with like selling Prolon. But it's his creation, right? I know. I want to go back and read the transcript when we get it back from the editors about what he said specifically, because it was, he said something about it that was confusing to me. Hmm. That's curious. It was a fun time. It's so crazy that um, we get to do these amazing interviews and I'm so happy. I'll have to, when does your episode come out with Dr. Panda? It should be, actually it's coming out next Monday, which will be November 14th. So it should already be out. Awesome. I can't wait to listen to it. Thank you. I can't wait to listen to the Volter one. Thank you. I got excited because I could see he was at USC and I went to USC and I could like recognize the brick walls because they, they use a lot of the same brick. That's a nice feeling. Made me happy. 
nostalgic. Yeah. I know. Last podcast question, I swear. It seems like you turn around your episodes pretty fast. Do you do that typically? Turn them around fast? Yes. <laughs> I do. And it just depends though. So I kind of do a lot of things more instinctually. So I kind of like feel out when I think a certain guest, like the timing of it will be good. <laughs> it's really not like a technical way of doing it, but I just know I'm like, it's time for this one. And then it's like, it's time for this. Like, I just know, <laughs> I just know when, like I have this feeling of when a certain episode should go out. So like right now I've got like about 30 episodes like pre-recorded. Whoa, 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 whoa. 30. Because I'm going to be taking a break when the baby comes. Right, right, right. Okay. Sorry. So now I'm like scheduling them all, but I also leave a little bit of room to like move things around. So, you know, if the week, the week before comes and I'm, I know what's coming out on Monday and I feel like it should be a different guest, then I'll change it. So I really go by into, into intuition. Intuition. And I just like feel it out. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So sometimes I'll have like an episode go out, like I'll record it on a Thursday and then I'm like, this has to go out on Monday. And then other times I'm like, this doesn't need to go out right now and it'll be out in like a few months. So it's very much like an intuitive thing for me. I like that. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I'm sort of similar I typically have a month or two. Some in the past it was like three, but I feel like I, now I'm a little bit only like a month out of episodes. And then I pretty much go based on timeline, but sometimes I'll move things around based on, yeah, if I'm like feeling something. Sometimes I'll get like really, really excited, and I just like have to bump up the episode. Yeah, which is, but that's that's rarer though because I'm just so usually very excited about all of them. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Podcasting is so fun. It is the best. I'm so thankful for it every day. I am too. I think about that a lot, especially because it wasn't a thing before, you know? So I'm so grateful. Yeah. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. I'm so like, I feel like we both were born to do this and I'm so thankful for it every day. It's just awesome. Just love long form media. And I feel like it's changing the world, you know, not just like, I don't know much just like our podcast, but like all the podcasts out there are changing the way that we have longer, deeper conversations about topics and we're learning, we're teaching each other. And this is like, for me, this is what the internet is all about. It's like sharing knowledge with each other, you know, sharing long, deep conversations, not just like sound bites and having other people interpret things for us. Like we could just go right to the source. We don't have to read an article about a study anymore. We can hear the actual scientist talking about his results and his intentions and his methodologies. And it's amazing. Like I truly think this is one of the best parts of the the, the internet. <laughs> I agree so much. Two thoughts to that. Thought one especially in our world where everything's like TikTok and Instagram and like clickbait and so short. And even the news is like, you know, short little clips. Like you said, it's like long form. It's like a conversation. I just, I love that so much. Like it really allows time to actually 
dive into things and get to know people. Like I love that we get to actually know our guests. Like so many of my friends, like you, <laughs> so many of our, my friends are guests from the show. And then uh, the second thing, oh, I think one of my favorite things about it is it's like Christmas in that, you know, publicists and agents will be pitching me guests pretty much every day. It's like Christmas because I get to like pick what I want to what I want to play with, not play with, what I want to like read and engage in, you know, but okay. Play, that sounds awful. Play with, but like, it feels like being at the store and like, I, it's like, I get to pick out like my favorite thing that I want to engage with. That's a, that was the phrase engage with. I totally got what you're saying. It just sounded hilarious. Pitches will come in and normally I'm like, no, no, no. But sometimes I see things I'm like, oh yes, like that's fun. And it can really be like, whatever, like going back to the intuition, whatever I just really want to learn about. So. Yes. I love that feeling. I'm like, yes, let's book it. (laughs) Yes. So awesome. Last podcast comment, I swear. And I told you this via text, but I think I told you I'm coming around now. I understand now why you're so attracted to Elon Musk. (gasps) You didn't tell me this by text. Oh, did you listen to my voice message? I think I I said it in a voice message. Yeah. Voice messages are hard for me because like most of the time, most of the day I'm with Luca so it's hard for me to listen because he's like always talking <laughs> at the same time. So I can listen when he's like napping. I'll have put like earphones in and then I listen. But then, yeah, sometimes I, so I don't click on them right away. So maybe like it got pushed up or something. I'm so glad we are revisiting this then. Okay. Just for a very brief discussion. <laughs> I need to know everything. Listeners are like, oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those episodes. I know. Okay. So here's the thing. I think I'd only listened or watched one interview with him prior to this, which was also Joe Rogan, but it was the one where he was high on it and like NASA got mad at him. It's not a good one. Okay. (laughs) So that is not, so that one, that's like not his typical vibe, I take it. No, I mean, he was very eloquent and he he said a lot of interesting things in it that I think about all the time. But yeah, I think a lot was made of the fact that he he was not sober and et cetera. I just don't think it was like maybe his best showing. Yeah. Oh, is it like that meme? Have you seen that meme? (laughs) Have you seen that meme where it's like, I got to find it, but it's like, have you ever like left a social situation and just thought not my best work? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I think that sometimes. Yeah, that's hilarious. Not my best work. So that was probably that meme for him. But I, yeah, I I liked that interview, but that was the only one I'd watched. So I watched, he was just on Rogan again, and he was very not high. He was very like sober. I don't know if he was sober, but (laughs) it was different. It was a different vibe. I was like, oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah, I see it. You see it. Mm hmm. I actually thought he looked attractive and he was very smart. He pauses. He's a pauser. Have you noticed that? Yes. And I always think about the fact that he's, I think Joe Rogan asked him on that first interview, what it was like being in his brain. And he said, it's constant explosions. Yeah. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah. And he's just like, he's, he's like, our. I don't know. I think he's like a hero. Like he's trying to help humanity. I really, truly believe that. Yeah, that was my takeaway. I, I maybe that maybe that's what did it because I watched it and I was like, I was like, oh wow, he like genuinely wants to save humanity. That's like his goal here. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, it's amazing. We hear about all these geniuses in the past, you know, people like Einstein, Michelangelo and, you know, Tesla, but to see them actually alive in our time and watch them, (laughs) what they're doing. And, you know, he got the U.S. off of dependence on Russia for rockets. Like he was like, before that, the U.S. government had to buy, they had to buy rockets from Russia and he created SpaceX and made made the U.S. independent in terms of now being able to just send up their own payloads to space because they now have their own rockets through SpaceX. Like he did that for America. Like <laughs> he's amazing. And unfortunately, like ever since he took over Twitter, he's been like really demonized for a lot of things. And I, I truly think he just has such a good heart and he really just wants to help humanity and and use his incredible genius to to do that and and he's yeah I mean, he's done so many amazing things and I think he'll he'll continue to but yeah he just he just really is pure hearted like he really just wants to help us it's pretty amazing i think even if just that alone was his legacy that the us could be able to send up its own payloads to space is pretty cool i did not know that he had that effect politically with Russia. Yeah. And that, that was the big takeaway because I know there's like a lot of controversy with X formerly known as Twitter. How long do you call something formerly known as like, how long? I don't know. Every time I see that phrase, I'm like, I wonder how long we're going to say that. Yeah. We're just so attached to the name and, and, and the brand and everything that it's, it's hard. I, I still think of it as Twitter. I have like, I see the X icon on my phone. I barely use Twitter, but I see the icon and I'm like, I still think of it as Twitter. I think it just makes us all more comfortable to still say Twitter in the title, you know, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just think it's kind of been a big distraction for him and it's embroiled him in like a lot of negativity that he doesn't deserve. So Unfortunately, here's a question for you. When Twitter switched to X, because I don't follow the news at all. So like at all. So I didn't know it was switching. I don't know if they were talking about that it was going to switch. Did they talk about that it was going to switch before it switched or did it, did it just switch? So Pete uses Twitter a lot and he said he knew. But for me, it was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? It's called what? <laughs> well, I just remember I was on my phone and all of a sudden there was this big X and I was like, I was like, who hacked my phone? Cause it looks like, you know, it looks like something scandalous. Cause I was like, where did this app come from? Yeah. X is, I, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. And I clicked on it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never, yeah, I never go on Twitter or X for, I never go there. <laughs> but, um, in any case, what I was going to say was, I know he's shrouded in a lot of controversy and politicalness and. I'm a highly apolitical person myself. Like, I'm really like, I just don't get involved. Listening to the interview, I was like, oh, and I said this earlier, but like he really, the reason he bought Twitter is because he really thinks, whether or not he is, he really thinks he's saving humanity. And it's hard to, it's hard to like demonize him hearing from his like heart why he did it, you know? He wants, he truly believes that we need as a society to have freedom of speech and to have this, he calls it like a community forum that like you're not where everyone can talk, where you're not like silencing certain people or you're not. He just thinks it's so important for us 
all of us to have one like community forum where like anything can be said. And that is like the notion of free speech. So yeah, it, (laughs) again, it's really hard to talk about it without it being politicized and everything, you know, and that's not something that we really talk about on the podcast much, but I really think he's amazing. And yeah, I'm glad that you're seeing it now too. (laughs) And he's also super hot. (laughs) Well, that's the thing because, and like, cause is it his, like his personality makes him, I think. Yeah. And, and yeah, cause you know, on it's like video on Spotify. So I kept looking down. I was like, Oh, he's, (laughs) <laughs> he's an attractive man. <laughs> I, I understand now. <laughs> I'm so glad I got the update. I'll have to find that that voice note. I'll have to go back and find it. I know. No, I I, I did I did way more justice to it here. But although, wait, but okay, I'm gonna stop this train. But he has like ten kids, right? At least seven. That's crazy. And they're like all boys. Really? All of them? Yeah. Unless he's had a girl. You know, I don't follow as closely as I used to, but yeah, mostly boys. Crazy. Oh, I did. That is a question I asked Walter Longo. That was my favorite moment of the Walter Longo episode for sure. I asked him because we were talking about how lifespan is driven by basically the need to reproduce and that all these processes are in place to like extend our lifespan so that we can have children. And then once you have children and then once your role is like done with taking care of the child, then the body doesn't really care so much about staying around. So I asked him, if you don't have kids, what are the implications there? Because then your body's like still waiting, you know, to have kids. So would that extend lifespan? He says he thinks like and this is me paraphrasing and listeners can listen to the episode, which was I have podcast episode 352. But he essentially said that like theoretically, yes, if you didn't have kids, it it should in theory promote your lifespan and it might, but it's probably not super measurable. And I'm the takeaway was that it might be like a year or two difference, but I personally don't, you know, see myself having kids. So that's all I'm going to say there. That's in favor of my longevity, but he made it sound like it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. That's interesting. So, yep. Well, that was all of the rabbit holes. Yeah. This always happens when we haven't gotten to to record together in a, a couple weeks. <laughs> we usually end up catching up and chatting a lot, but I'm ready for questions if you are. Although now I'm thinking we should like, we should discuss more studies in the beginning. Listeners, let us know if that's of interest to you because it's so timely, no pun intended. Okay, so our first question comes from Carolyn, first and probably only, and the subject is IF and Lyme disease. And Carolyn says, I am continuing to love the podcast through all of the co-host changes and am delighted to follow your remarkable career, Melanie. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So nice. She says, I am really loving you as well, Vanessa, because my ancestry is from Prague and I'm wanting to plan a trip there with my 17-year-old son. So hearing all about your life there has kept me on the edge of my seat. Oh, that's so wonderful. She says, I am a 55-year-old woman who has devoted my life to fitness and nutrition. I have had a few minor health issues, hypothyroid diagnosis in 2012, herniated disc surgery in 2016, histamine intolerance in 2022, 
but for the most part, enjoy abundant energy and a pretty lean and muscular physique, not to mention amazing mental clarity since starting IF in 2018. On June 21st, 2023, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease and immediately started a course of antibiotics along with herbal supplements and a medicinal mushroom blend specific to addressing Lyme. The longest extended fast I have done was several years ago and was around 90 hours or so. I'm interested in doing a five-day fast, especially now if it will be helpful in eliminating these stealthy corkscrew-shaped pests. I'm a teacher, so I do not have to report back to work until early September, so the summer would be the perfect time to embark upon this fast, especially while I am just getting started trying to eliminate this pathogen from my body. Thank you so much for all you do and for any insight you can provide about the benefits of fasting and mitigating the impacts of Lyme disease. Gracefully, Carolyn. Okay. Gratefully. Oh, gratefully. I was like, gracefully is such a nice way of signing off. I'm like, I've never heard that. We, I know. We should start adopting that. Let me say that again. <laughs> gratefully, Carolyn. That's so nice, you know, all about your ancestry being from Prague and, you know, following Melanie's remarkable career. I love all the comments. It sounds like you've been doing amazing with your health and and lifestyle and everything. With regards to Lyme, I'm not sure how you're doing now because it sounds like this was before the summer. And I'm not sure if you actually ended up doing a five-day fast. But I did do a little bit of research and... The thing that I found the most evidence on was with regards to autophagy. So there was a really interesting study done about actually 10 years ago was about how autophagy modulates the bacteria that is producing a lot of inflammation when it comes to Lyme. So the study was pretty in-depth. would be great to link it in the show notes if you want to go and check it out. But they basically determined that when they inhibit autophagy, so they block autophagy, it increases the cytokine production of two, their interleukin-6 and interleukin-1 beta. So that basically says that autophagy, if it's not inhibitive, if it is instead you know, enhanced, that you could reduce that cytokine production and lower inflammation that is produced during Lyme. So I think a lot of the issues that come up with Lyme are like pain from the inflammation. And so I think that fasting, it's doing an extended fast has been shown in the research, I think, to produce pretty dramatic autophagy. So that's probably why you're looking into it. I have seen some other, I guess, like anecdotes or self, self-reported stories. So there's an amazing blogger who is in Canada. A lot of people follow her and she says that she reversed her Lyme with fasting and carnivore. I think a lot of other people are doing that. I know Craig Emmerich has been doing carnivore to help with his Lyme. So ketogenic diets also lower inflammation and, you know, carnivore often tends to end up with ketogenic macros. So I think that, you know, there's also a lot of nutrient density, but slow down farmstead. That's the account. I saw that Rob Wolf, he reposted her post that she did about how she 
was diagnosed with Lyme and she has no pain in her body whatsoever and is completely able to manage all the symptoms. Like she really has no symptoms and she says it's all from doing prolonged fasting and, and carnivore. So I think it's definitely something to look into and, you know, to reach out, you could reach out potentially to people like that, look into the research on it. And a lot of the research on fasting shows that autophagy is massively upregulated after 36 hours. So, you know, if you're on to 72 hours, I think anywhere between three to five days, you'll probably get a massive amount of autophagy. There's also other ways to get autophagy. Exercise is one of the best ones. It sounds like you already do a lot of exercise. So if that's something you can still do, it'll probably also help, you know, generating autophagy doesn't necessarily just need to be fasting, but definitely something I would say to look into and do more research on and, you know, talk to your care provider about if there's someone that specializes in Lyme, they may be familiar or you could bring some of the research to them to talk about it with them. What do you think, Melanie? Thank you so much. That was so incredibly helpful. We'll put a link in the show notes, which will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 353 to that study. I really appreciate that. We actually released our recent episodes with Craig Emmerich around the same time, I think, because you just released yours with him sort of recently, right? Yes. Yes. And I did as well. I talked with him about his journey with Lyme and he talks about how he really, you know, saw massive improvements with the carnivore diet. I know Tim Ferriss has talked about how he used the keto diet. I remember I just have, sometimes I have like quotes ingrained in my head or like echoing in my head. I remember I heard him on some podcasts. And he said that basically the keto diet was the only thing that really put his Lyme disease in in remission for a while. The reason that might correlate to fasting is, again, I don't know if it's the keto diet per se or the the state of ketosis, but, you know, there's similar pathways and mechanisms happening there. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And actually, if you want a deep, deep dive into Lyme disease, I did record the audiobook for Stephen Buhner's Healing Lyme. You can get it on Audible. It's very long, but it's a very, very deep dive into Lyme disease. But yes, theoretically, I think there's a lot of things that happen from fasting that can support your Lyme disease journey. And especially thinking back to what Dr. Longo was talking about with what they find with the fasting mimicking diet and the regeneration of the immune system, I think that could be huge because it seems to be really, really powerful, especially because Carolyn's talking about a potential long five-day fast. I know they found in Dr. Longo's studies that the five-day fast, again, it's the fasting mimicking diet, not a fast, but presumably fasting would have the same effects, that basically it can regenerate the immune system and kind of, for lack of a better word, get rid of old immune cells. And this is me making hypotheses, so this is not like in a clinical study or trial or anything. But I do know, especially having done an extensive dive into Lyme, recording that book for Steven and researching a lot myself, a lot of people, like a lot of people seem to have Lyme and chronically react to it. And some people, it seems like they have Lyme and these other co-infections, but they're not reacting. And so it could be a matter of just how their immune system is handling it how basically supporting the immune system, I think there's a lot of potential for modulating the immune system for how you're actually reacting to Lyme, whether or not you technically have it or not. Because a lot of us have dormant infections of a lot of different types and they can be kept at bay and actually not 
quote, bother us if the immune system is keeping everything in check. So I think anything immune supportive would be really helpful. And fasting is definitely immune supportive. So yeah, definitely, Carolyn, she might have already done it by now. If you did, let us know and let us know if you had any beneficial effects from it. And also sending love. I know it can be really hard. I personally like had my own. I got diagnosed with it and I went down the rabbit hole. And honestly, the thing that helped me the most, this isn't necessarily the approach for everybody, but it's what worked for me. I just stopped caring. (laughs) And what I mean by that is I went into a mode where I was so fixated and I was like, I have Lyme in me. I have to kill it. I have to do all the things. I was in like an attack mode and I got so worn out from that. And I know that help that works for a lot of people. And a lot of people do need to be aggressive. And there's definitely a big difference between like you got bit by a tick yesterday and you just got positive and you need to do antibiotics now. Like that's very different than me, you know, testing positive for Lyme as interpreted by some doctors, but not others. And like the vagueness surrounding it and just having an overwhelming sense of fatigue. So like that state versus an acute instance where you just got Lyme. When I finally decided like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on recovery and healing and not attacking all the time. And I'm not even going to test for Lyme anymore. That actually helped me the most. And that's not going to work for everybody, but it worked for me. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I actually, and I went and saw a new doctor recently, a um, holistic doctor. She was like, oh, we should like test you for Lyme. And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> like, I'm fine. I don't need to. Yeah. I mean, if you're asymptomatic, then why, yeah, why worry about it? Well, I mean, I always am struggling a little bit with fatigue issues and, and certain things, but I'm just so massively better than where I was that I just don't want to open that that rabbit hole. So. And that's not, again, it's not going to work for everybody, but it really worked for me. Cause I think some people just get locked down in fear and they're just, they're obsessive and that's all they can think about. I, I think it's really hard to heal when you're in that mindset. So I think stepping back and taking a breather can help a lot of people. So, yep. Okie dokie. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. And this should be done by the time this comes out for sure because I'm working on it right now and we're a few months ahead. I think I will have like really optimized our stuff we like page on ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. It was kind of a mess for a while, but I'm really tackling it right now. So you should be able to get all of the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Vanessa is ketogenic girl. And I think that is all the things. Anything from you, Vanessa, before we go? Oh, I had so much fun with you and I'm excited to record the next one. Me too. I will talk to you next week. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, 
please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.